DJ Simulationistas. So, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Welcome, everyone, to DJ Simulationista Sup. You're here with Janice Palaganis and... Dan Raymer. Sup, Janice. Sup, Dan. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah. So I've noticed in debriefings that you are always so chillax. 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 Do you like that one? I like that word. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, I just had this experience yesterday, and I am... I thought of you, and I thought, how does he... Stay so chill and debriefing all the time. Well, I can assure you that that it's not medication. Um, <laughs> I think it's a developed skill. I mean, I'm sure I used to be uh, anxious. I know the first time I did a debriefing, I was petrified. Um, so I guess I've developed that skill over time. Uh-huh. I mean, I still have I still have times. When internally I'm churning, guess I try not to show it. Maybe I'm not as uh, uh, chill as I look sometimes, I, I guess. Oh, so you're just good at poker. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm actually a terrible poker player. <laughs> the last debriefing I did actually was in a, in a professional surgery course. Uh-huh. And uh, the course started at 7 a.m. And we have a little conference room in the department at this hospital uh, where we start off the course. Quarter past seven, everyone was there waiting and the surgeon burst into the room and he came right up to me and he stuck his face right in mine and he said, he said, I was locked out. That door there was locked and I couldn't get in. And I came this far from uh, blowing this whole stupid thing off. And uh, I I've thought, I nice. thought, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> and I just said, I'm sorry. And he marched over and he sat down in a seat and he actually turned his back to me and faced the corner like, oh like no, he, he did not. Cap on. <laughs> I swear to God, he looked at the wall, pulled out his phone. He was sulking. And started and started, you know, looking at things. And then one of my colleagues uh, said, well, let's get started. There's a form in front of you that you need to sign about confidentiality or something like that. I forgot what it was. And he slammed it down on the table and swore. Uh, I won't repeat for our listeners what he said, but he actually swore and, and, and you know, pounded his fist on the table. And, uh, and my thought was, this is great because I know from experience, the more someone acts like that, the more enthusiastic person they are. And that by the end of the day, he will fall harder (laughs) than anyone And uh, when we ended the day and we went around the room and said, um, you know, what did you take from today? What did you learn? He said, "Um, 
we're really terrible at this. We need to do this 30 times in order to get good at it. We just need to do it 30 times. And I kind of looked at him and said, 30 times? Really? He said, well, we should be good at this, and we should be practicing, and we should do it 30 times. <laughs> so I thought, here's somebody who wants to do simulation instead of surgery. Um, <laughs> he, he fell quite hard and, you know, basically loved the experience. So, so times like that, you know, I have taught me that, um, that those sorts of things are not to get upset about and to be chillax about because in the whole, they'll work out really, really well. Often when we teach courses and we've got somebody that, that is having a harder time buying into whatever I'm saying, I see it as a challenge, a personal challenge. And then that person kind of becomes my goal that it's clear and I really work with them. And I love that emotion because it drives me to be better in my teaching. And I, that's an internal trigger, I think. And it sounds like when things happen to you, what keeps you relaxed is that you see it as a gift almost. It's in some ways a bit of a perversion. Uh, it seems <laughs> <laughs> not not in that sense. <laughs> it's it's a, a the thing that's so so uh, twisted about it is that it's a very odd sign of engagement. If somebody's willing to fight you to the mat about simulation or their experience or their performance. And it comes out as being, you know, defensive or frightened or dismissive. It's a sign that the the passion is there and the engagement is there. And your challenge is just to turn the engagement away from their insecurities and towards the lessons at hand. Mm -hmm. And and if you can kind of remember that, I think it, uh, it really helps you stay... Uh, stay relaxed in a debriefing. So I agree that past experience with difficult debriefing situations like this can allow you to be more relaxed. I guess I want to get at someone who's a bit less experienced that doesn't that hasn't gone through some of the experiences yet. How do you essentially bystand your emotions? There are situations in debriefing that for me just kind of trigger me like you have had the experience to know to just kind of chill out and let it play out and it'll be good in the end. Although I'm having this reaction recently that I just can't seem to get over it in the moment and I just struggle with it. Well, I have to admit that although I have experience and I'm chillax in uh, situations where others might not be so confident, I certainly have my demons as well. There are times when Uh, I get triggered where people get under my skin in a debriefing. It's almost always a senior resident in a, you know, medical or surgical specialty. They challenge me about something medical. I have insecurities about that because I don't have a medical degree. 
I did go to medical school, but I did as a bioengineer, and I've had a lot of experience in uh, clinical departments, in research and uh, experiments in the clinical domain, but I've never taken care of patients. And so sometimes they really react to the scenario, and this senior resident has seems to convey the attitude of, I know everything. I've seen everything. I'm about ready to graduate. There is nothing I can't uh, conquer in my field. And they just lack the humility that comes with having experience. And so I've noticed those very same people a couple of years later have this tremendous humility that in spite of all their wonderful training and their incredible skills, that sometimes it's overwhelming to practice their field and that we don't know everything and they don't know everything. And, uh, you know, when you're out there on your own as an attending physician with no faculty behind you, that it's a really scary thing. And so it gives them this humility. And and sometimes those senior residents don't have it. And when they start saying things with this kind of, you know, overconfidence, in my opinion, and I've heard the opposite of what they're saying from people who I, you know, respect immensely, It just pushes my buttons. I just go. I just can't deal with them. Uh, You can. I'm sure they can see it in my face, in my voice. I just wanna wanna butt heads with them and fight with them. And uh, I am anything but chillax when that (laughs) happens. Doesn't happen very often, but yeah, so while. (laughs) So how do you like? How do you bystand your emotions in in those situations? Because you know, I, I have a similar trigger that um, I'm not really proud to disclose, but I will anyway, <laughs> which is I cannot stand when I'm running a case, a simulation, and the performance was not good. In fact, poor. And it's uh, like egregiously poor. Everybody in the room knows that it was poor performance. And, and if it happens to fall on one or two people... We're in the debriefing, that person starts then just kind of telling their entire life story of how they're going through a divorce and their uh, aunt just died and their dog died. And and I don't know why, but it just bothers the crap out of me. And I feel like (laughs) for saying it, but seriously, like I just maybe it's because I work so hard to to not go there when I perform badly. Like I work so hard to separate the two. And and we all know, I mean, we all know that everybody comes as a whole person and <laughs> so much of your personal life influences your performance. Yet clinically, you still have to practice. And I don't know, I just, but I don't know what to do in those situations when I'm in debriefing much like yesterday. And I can't deal with my personal um, inflammation <laughs> to the situation. Janice, you're such a such a classic warrior. Were you an Amazon in a prior life? <laughs> I wish. Uh, <laughs> I wish. Uh, 
I've seen that that emotion many times in people, clinicians, where they think that, you know, no matter what is wrong, you have to perform. And that's perfectly understandable because um, people are in that situation, you know, you're yeah, but in the, the debriefing, you're not yeah. going to be like, yeah, sucks. You're getting a divorce. Sucks. Your dog died. Sucks that your aunt died. Guess what? You still have to take care of this patient. Like you're not going to say right. that in debriefing. Right, right. So, so I think that that's a, a perfect example. And, and I think the thing that's great about your story, and I suppose it applies to my story as well, is how important it is to kind of recognize your demons, to, to really think about your own frames, where you're coming from, and kind of uh, reflect on what triggers you and, and perhaps why. Because I think the first step is recognizing that those emotions are coming upon you and are taking over your body uh, like a demon. I think the second step is, as you you say, bystand your emotions. Somehow you have to say either to yourself or out loud uh, how that makes you feel, but in a dispassionate way, a descriptive way. So when I hear you say that, actually makes me think, you know, you still need to take care of this patient. And, and you need to be able to say that honestly and in a way that describes what your emotions are without having your emotions. If you let your emotions loose and you unload on the person, uh, that's not going to be helpful. But if you can describe your emotions, then they don't have to read you. They don't have to evade you. They don't have to get into a defensive crouch yep. from your emotional outburst. So acting on your emotion, not acting out your emotion. I know. It's just so... Nice way to say it. So difficult. For me, the biggest thing is to have a partner. Oh, uh, I know. If you were there with me, you would pick up that that was bothering me. And if and when in your situations, I can certainly pick up. So all I needed was you there. Right. Right. <laughs> so as you know, I'm a tennis fanatic. I love to play doubles tennis. I love to play with certain people because they're a really good partner. And the thing that makes them a really good partner is not necessarily their tennis skills, but their notion that they have to make up for my weaknesses mm -hmm. and that they acknowledge their weaknesses and have an expectation that I will cover for them. So yesterday I played tennis with a really excellent player who is going to be turn 80 years old uh, this week. And wow. he's amazingly good tennis player, played tennis his whole life. We were playing much younger players yesterday. And, I, you know, he came to me and he said, you know, Dan, you need to get all the lobs because uh, he can't run very well, especially backwards. And, uh, and so we just did, we beat them. And we beat them badly because I knew every time the ball went up in the air, he was going to 
a seed to me because that was his weakness. And, you know, and I went and got those, uh, got those balls and he was incredibly reliable in his position up close to the net. And so knowing your partner uh, and being, you know, knowing what their demons are and being willing to step in when you see them be triggered or are concerned about them being triggered, I think is the you know, is the best thing you can do in debriefing. You know, I also think that, so in the literature, it's, I mean, knowing how you're feeling in the moment and understanding that you're contributing to that moment and you're going to take actions based on your feelings. It's, you know, it's in the world of meditation as open heart. It's in education as reflective practice in organizational psychology with Bill Torbert as triple loop feedback. And I have to say that, you know, I, I find it really interesting. I do a lot of reading around it. You, uh, you know that one of my things that I work on is trying to be present in the moment, uh, you know, by Otto Scharmer, kind of his theory of theory you. That knowledge, you know, in our last podcast, we talked about bringing baggage to a situation. It felt like baggage because it was like the entire time I was completely conscious of how I was feeling inflamed and I and I just kept worrying that I was going to contribute badly to the moment that I felt a bit paralyzed. I know my demons, well, not all of them, but have come across, stumbled across a lot of them. And I, I just really struggle with, with the in the moment thing and snapping out of it. Resetting is Jenny Rudolph would call it. Triple loop learning. Uh, uh-huh. So that's actually new to me. I know about single loop learning, that is learning about uh, the actions that you take and trying to change them. I know about double loop learning, where you learn about what drives your actions, what your frames are, what your uh, senses are in the moment that drive your actions. And learning about that is double loop learning. What's triple loop learning? So triple looped, well, double loop learning is really more at getting at your partners or the people with with whom you're speaking, the people that you're working with. The triple loop learning is is more the being present in the moment. And so what, and actually Bill Torbert takes it to um, organizational leadership in psychology. They call it triple. So it's single loop feedback. So they bring it to feedback, single loop feedback, double loop feedback, and then triple loop feedback, really understanding your actions, your thoughts, and your personal actions before the event, during the event, and after the event that contribute to either the problems or the situation. And so uh-huh. so using your personal emotions as triggers to know, you know, once you can understand what your demons are, you're calling it demons, what your demons are, as soon as that demon appears or you recognize it, then, you know, the more you study yourself, you know what pathway to take immediately so that you can counteract bad contributions that you give to a situation. Well, uh, I think we've uh, we've revealed too much <laughs> about ourselves already, so maybe we <laughs> ought to draw this to a close. Uh, any, any last thoughts about uh, uh, what what triggers you in debriefing? Well, actually, I'm more interested in what triggers our our listeners. So I would like to put a call out there and I would love to hear back from our listeners to to hear what triggers, what their personal triggers are in debriefing and how they overcome it. A, uh, a personal demon library. A personal library. demon library. Uh, I, I love it. <laughs> 
I love it. We'll keep a we'll keep a database of people's demons. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, nice talking to yeah, you today, Janice. Yeah. Uh, I hope hope uh, hope you, you have a good day. Bye. DJ Simulationistas, sup? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.